1 Samuel chapter 6. So I was sitting back there, I'm like, kind of wanted this, this moment to last a while and I'm thanking God that he has allowed his spirit to, to penetrate into these halls. And so today's message, I think, is pertinent to the idea that maybe you came into this room feeling like um, you don't have it all together, that there's something missing or something that is broken within you. Yesterday, we did the coldest night of the year walk around uptown St. John and just the experience again of, of witnessing the poverty of St. John, the brokenness. Jesus did say that we will always have those among us that will struggle. And for us as followers of Jesus, it's our opportunity to serve in those capacities. And so why we come to church is to witness God working within our context and then take it from this place and live a life for Jesus. And Jesus is reminding you in this time, 10 o'clock at 383 Hampton Road, is that he has you covered. We're walking through a series where we're trying to discover what Jesus is teaching us in the Old Testament. The first week we talked about the idea that when the glory of God shows up, when the Shekinah glory shows up, we can't help but be moved physically and spiritually. If you'll remember, we talked about the story of Moses and that conversation that he had with God on, on, on Mount Sinai. And when the Spirit of God passed by, Moses was moved from a sturdy foundation to the cleft of a rock. Next, we talked about the idea of traveling with Jesus, the necessity to be in the presence of Jesus as much as possible and not store him away uh, like as if we're flying on Air Canada with the hope that our baggage will actually get to the destination. Talking about the idea of not only just carry-on luggage, but actually having Jesus like a backpack in some ways always traveling with him. And then, as we were singing Waymaker, it reminded me of last week's message. Waymaker, you know, even though I don't know it, he's working. And so, we talked a lot about last week and how the Ark of the Covenant was in Dagon's temple. And Dagon, defe Dagon was defeated by the presence of God. And our enemies, even though we don't feel it, he's working. God is working on our enemies in the darkest of times. And today, I want to talk to you about this idea that Jesus is working, and he has us covered. You ever find yourself in a place at a cash register or maybe after having eaten a meal at a restaurant, and you go to reach in your pockets, and you're like, I forgot my wallet. Like, literally, I, I totally forgot my wallet. Maybe you were eating with somebody, and they're like, don't worry, I've got you covered. You know that feeling, that, that sense of relief, that, that, that you, you, you've just been humbled by the fact that you can't pay for it yourself, but then the person that's either behind you at the cash or eating with you at the meal, you've probably experienced that before, where they say the words, I've got you covered. So today we're going to talk about the idea that we as human beings are broken, and we can't fix ourselves, 
But the words that Jesus wants to speak to us is, I've got you covered. 1 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to continue this idea, and, and maybe if I re- rethink the naming of this sermon series, I would have talked about the idea of what Jesus taught us from the Ark of the Covenant, because we've really followed the Ark of the Covenant all the way along, and I do feel want, I want to continue this journey. Last week, we talked about the excitement of the Ark of the Covenant returning to Israel after it had been in Philistine territory for seven months, defeating their enemies with, if you remember, the dark, hidden parts of the anatomy. God used hemorrhoids to defeat his enemies. Very interesting use of weaponry. Uh, But the older I get, the more I realize that would have been a pretty powerful tool. Verse 13, now the people of Beth Shemesh were out harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up, they saw the ark, and they rejoiced at the sight. The ark came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped uh, chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites looked down, the, uh, took down the ark of the, uh, the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Ekron. These are the gold tumors the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord, one each for Ashdod, Gaza, Eshkelon, Gath, and Ekron. You're not reading that wrong. These are gold hemorrhoids. Must have been an interesting sight. And the number of the gold rats, according to the number of Philistine towns, belonging to the five rulers, the fortified towns with their country villages, the large rock on which they set the ark of the Lord is witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And here's where we begin this conversation. Now, as we read this piece of Scripture, I want us to all remember that we can't truly figure God out. There are certain scriptures that we read where we project an image upon God that is not healthy for us as human beings. We project an image not understanding context, not understanding uh, the whole outlook of everything, and we say God is a real mean God. And I want us to read this scripture with an understanding of there is a point to everything God does, yet we do not understand it. Verse 19, but God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the men of Beth Shemesh asked, Why, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, the holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? Let's pray as we go into this conversation. Father, God, I pray today that we are able to discern 
this scripture in, uh, in a way that reminds us that you have us covered. And that when we walk out of this place, that we walk out with the desire to live that way, that we are covered, but also live in such a way that we become the people who have others covered. Meaning that when people are struggling in life, we are the people that can come alongside them and be Jesus to them. So God, do what you need to do in this moment of teaching. Use me and the words that I'm about to speak to soften people's hearts to who you are as God and who we are as human beings and the relationship that you have and the way that you have us covered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The question that we might have in this situation is, first, of course, what is the Ark of the Covenant? And again, the picture of the Ark of the Covenant we'll put up on the screen right now. The Ark of the Covenant, we talked about the idea of the two cherubim, the two angels that would, would uh, overshadow uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where God's presence would be. Below them, we call this the mercy seat in Scripture, uh, the atonement cover of other Scripture. We'll talk about that in a second. But inside of the Ark of the Covenant, it was three particular things that the Scriptures talk about. There was the rod of Aaron, the manna, or a piece of manna. If you were, remind yourself going back to as they left Egypt and, and, and they were 40, days in, 40 years in the wilderness, they were given manna from heaven. Manna would fall from heaven. This bread-like material that they could consume fell from heaven, and a piece of manna was, was in this Ark of the Covenant, and the two tablets that Moses had um, give, or given the Israelites with the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 40, 20. You can read this. And above this, there was this covering. And so what happens in this particular scripture is the, the Ark of the God, uh, Covenant is returned to the Israelites in a very dramatic way. And they maybe are saying, well, let's just verify that these items are in the Ark of the Covenant. And they open it up and they look inside and God does something that we can't understand. We can't explain. But what does come clear to us in this is, is that once they understand this, they begin to see who God is. And they react this way. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, the holy God? To whom will the ark of the God go? There was a certain sense of respect now for this ark of the God. Because the ark of the, of the covenant had just made its way back from enemy territory on its own. They check inside. And unfortunately, God has to use this as an example to prove how holy he is. And so on top of this, the cover that they would have removed from this gold Ark of the Covenant would have been what they call the caparet in Hebrew. This is the item that if they had not removed it, everything would have been fine. Now the Ark of the Covenant was built in the 13th century, so about uh, a thousand years, you know, in, in this certain circumstance uh, has, has gone by before something happens. In this situation here, they take the Ark of the Covenant every day and they put it in what we'd call the Holy of Holies. Up until this point, it has been something that's existed for a thousand years because we're fast-forwarding 1,000 years from the time of Moses, right? So all the way through Exodus, 
all the way, no, sorry, not Exodus, but all the way through the 40 days in the wilderness. The Ark of the Covenant has been there. And then all the way up until a thousand years later, here we are in this situation here. This is the, the age of the Ark of the Covenant, potentially. And so, for these 40 years, and then you, you begin to read this in not, no, no, Numbers chapter 4. So, Ma, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. This is what happens with the Ark of the Covenant every single time they stop in this 40-year journey. The Ark of the Covenant is moved from spot to spot. Numbers chapter 4 explains what happens. Verse 5. When the camp is to move during this time of wilderness wandering, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain, remember this veil we talked about a few weeks ago, and cover the Ark of the Testimony with it. Then they are to cover this with hides and sea cows, spread a cloth of solid blue over that, and put the poles in place. Every time it moved, it could not be witnessed. There was a certain protection that had to happen with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was used for a sacrificial system also. During certain times, Leviticus talks about the idea that blood of sacrificial animals would be poured over this Ark of the Covenant. Seems a little disgusting to me, and I'm glad we don't have to practice this as human beings nowadays. And the reason we don't have to do this, we'll find out, is because of Jesus. Leviticus number, uh, chapter 16 talks about this idea of the Day of Atonement. God speaks to Moses and says, this is how you will atone for the sins Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of, the, of his two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now, I want to stop here for a second, as the atonement cover has just been talked about twice. So this is the sacrificial system. If you want to go on and find out about all of the details, you continue reading Leviticus chapter 16. This sacrificial system was important for the Israelites. It was the atoning time. Now, there's a lot of things I do not understand in the Old Testament, as I've talked about in the past. I don't quite understand the sacrificial system. It seems pretty gross to me. But I began to think about God in a whole different light when I think about it this way. God is warning his people that he is holy and we are not. This past week, I had the unfortunate circumstance in the middle of winter wondering why garage door openers stop working in minus 15 degree temperature not plus 30. Because at that point when fixing a garage door opener in minus 15 a lot less enjoyable than potentially in the middle of summer. That happened to me this week. So I had to go buy a new garage door opener and in the minus 15 degree temperature fix this thing. So as I'm putting this up one thing I began to realize, and I think I got picture, every step had this one, war, and there, was, there was probably, if I counted properly, 40 warnings 
that occurred every step. It said, now warning, this could cause death. And now I, as a human being, as a man, as one who doesn't follow instructions very well, I'm very good at ignoring these warnings. You know what I'm talking about, guys, right? Now, the women in the room are probably like saying to the husbands, now, honey, don't forget to wear your safety glasses, that type of thing. While the warnings for us, just, okay, I have to admit, I fast forward through them pretty quickly. There are a lot of things when it comes to putting up a garage door opener that, here's the quote, to reduce the risk of injuries, follow these steps. Now, let's rewind to God for a second. Now, this atonement seat, as it was mentioned here in verse six, or chapter 16, was called the atonement cover. The NIV calls it such, the atonement cover. ESV uses the word mercy seat. Now, why is it called the mercy seat? The translation mercy seat is based on our understanding of this object as a symbol of God's mercy and forgiveness. This, again, is a gold cover that protects the humans from having to look into it, but also plays a secondary role of being the place where God sits, but also where sacrifices happen the term seat may imply a place of authority or judgment, emphasizing God's role as the ultimate judge who extends mercy to those who seek forgiveness. The choice of mercy seat in the translation of English versions of the Bible is influenced of the, by the interpretation of this term within the broader theological context of redemption, forgiveness, and reconciliation found in both Old Testament and New Testament. So when I think of covers, my mind automatically goes to Tupperware dishes. You know those things, picture up on the wall. How many people have this in their house? Like, I'm talking, like, where do all the covers go to? Or where do the bases go for the covers that are lasting? Like, these are where my mind goes. When it, covers are useful only if there's something to cover up. So here we have the ark's cover, called the mercy seat in many translations, or the atonement cover. Now for us, not necessarily Old Testament people, we're trying to wonder what's the point. The word, however, is not related to mercy, and of course it is a not a seat, doesn't even look like one. The word derived from that we get mercy seat is a word atone. I don't even know what atone really means. If you think about it from a New Testament perspective without Jesus. The Greek equivalent is in the LXX or Septuagint is helisterion, a place of propitiation. I've just used some really big words. A word which is applied to Christ in Romans chapter 3.25. And that's where we're going to go to in just a second. Because what we're trying to learn is what Jesus teaches me in the Old Testament. So the translation mercy seat does not sufficiently express the fact that the lid of the ark was a place where the blood was sprinkled on the day of atonement. I will explain all of this. The place of atonement. 
is more better suited for what we call the mercy seat. So let me explain how we get to this word. I don't know if you know this, but the original Hebrew was, or original Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Greeks decided at one point that they need to translate it into their own language as um, the Greco-Roman world became the most popular um, kind of language at that point. Greek became the most popular language. The LXX, which is the Septuagint, is the translation that existed during the time of Jesus. Ptolemy II in 285 B.C., decided we need to translate into something that's more understandable. So thus we have the Septuagint. The Septuagint, or LXX, the reason they call it LXX is because there were 70 translators that worked on the Hebrew Bible to translate into their language. That was the Bible, or the Old Testament, that was available to Jesus and the translator of Greek. So this word that we're having a conversation about, about this cover, caporet, is helisterion in the LXX. Now Paul, the writer of Romans, uses the LXX for translation. So let's keep that in mind as we read Paul's writing to, Roman, the, to, to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. All of this conversation spins down to what is this mercy seat or this cover. This cover, again, reminding you, is the cover that the Israelites removed. God saw that they removed it, and he struck down 70 people. This cover is a protection mechanism for us as human beings. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now here's the important part. Not that that was an important part, but for this message. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who, is just, who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Here's the important part again. Romans chapter 3, 25. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. Of atonement. Initially, we use this word propitiation. That's a really difficult word to understand. Really, it's appeasing, right? Propitiation is the idea of, um, my dad would say it this way. You know, if, if my dad gave me instruction as a teenager, I would do a teenager act to my dad. I would go, whatever, right? And 
you guys remember what I was like as teenagers. When you, now, as parents of teenagers, I begin to realize, wow, I was really rude to my dad. And then my dad would say these words back, just humor me for a second. Would you just appease me with this? Right? He wouldn't say appease, but that's really what he was trying to do. He says, just humor me and do it. Right? And then whatever he was asking me to do would ultimately turn out right. How did you appease God in the Old Testament? Because we are broken people. We are sinful people. We do bad things. So thus, Yom Kippur comes into play. Many have heard this word, Yom Kippur. It's a once-a-year festival that, is, uh, that Jewish people still um, celebrate I was actually talking to an Israeli uh, refugee or Israeli uh, immigrant the other day, a friend of mine, and she's talking about the idea that Yom Kippur is still a day that they have a high level of respect for. This Yom Kippur is known as the Day of Atonement. There's the word again. It's observed once a year in the Jewish calendar. It falls on the tenth of the Hebrew month of Tishrei, which typically corresponds to September or October in this calendar. Yom Kippur is considered the holiest day in the Jewish calendar and is marked by fasting, prayer, and repentance. It is a solemn occasion for seeking forgiveness for sins and reconciling with God and others. All year long, they looked forward to the day of Yom Kippur where they can finally be right with God. Meaning, 364 days a year, they had to wait for that day. And on that day, they would fast, pray, repent, attend synagogue, and give something away. Leviticus chapter 16 explains that. Within that, there is a word, kipper. Kipper would be the original Hebrew word. In the LXX, this word is exists las gomai, which is related to the same word, cover. So here's the important thing. Cover becomes a very important thing when it comes to atonement. In fact, it's the same word. Now, let's go to the New Testament. We're talking about what Jesus teaches me in the New Testament. There are two really important words here. Now remember, I've talked to you about the idea of hilasterion, the Greek translation of atonement seat, or mercy seat, I apologize. Hilasterion is a cover. The idea of hilasterion is there is something that protects you from something else. Another word for hilasterion is halasmos. Now you may be wondering, why am I going into such detail about these words? Now, here's what Jesus has taught me from all of this. I was reading the other day 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 in particular. And in this conversation, I was reading the Passion Translation. It's become my morning conversation with God. I'm asking God to speak to me through this new translation I've never read before. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says these words. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love 
not ours, he proved it by sending his son to be a pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Let me go back to the things I don't understand about the Old Testament. Number one on that list is the sacrificial system. I wish I understood it. But here's why I don't understand it. Because as a follower of Jesus, I have the sacrifice already. He proved it, as the Passion Translation talks about, by sending his son to be a pleasing, sacrificial offering to take away our sins. That word, kalasmos, comes from the helisterion, comes from the LXS, LXX helisterion, which comes from the Hebrew word kaparet, which comes from the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the atonement cover. Jesus is our protection. This is love. He becomes our protection. The reason we can't understand the sacrificial system, the reason we can't understand Yom Kippur is because we have Jesus. What Jesus is saying is that I am your cover. That whole response we have when we walk up to the cash and have no wallet, when someone says, I've got you covered, there is a level of great satisfaction to having someone cover you. I wish when I was op- working on my garage door opener or my garage door itself that I had my dad with me. You know what I mean? I, and, and my dad would probably, while we were going through those warnings, he would say, okay, just humor me, son, on this, and let's do it right. You guys all know what I'm talking about. Dad had me covered. And Jesus has me covered too. That's what I love about Jesus. So Jesus is ultimately our cover. That mercy seat we talk about, Jesus is the one that took that place. The blood that would be poured out over the mercy seat, Jesus took that place. Jesus is our protector. After church today, Chris and I have the privilege of meeting with people that are excited about the potential of baptism. And it, ultimately, what baptism is, is a recognition that we have Jesus as our cover. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says it this way. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He became a halasmos, our helisterian, a cleansing, satisfying sacrifice that provides a covering shelter, a form of the word mercy seats. It answers several questions in life. 
Like, why was I created? Jesus teaches me to receive his love, to receive his cover. Does God care about me? Absolutely. God's love is so indiscriminate. He loves everyone and cares for every detail of our lives. Am I really free to choose and reject God's love? Yes. You have the choice to accept Jesus as your cover or not. So after church today, we have a chance to meet and talk about the idea of a symbol of that cover through baptism. So ultimately, we don't have to worry about the hilasterion because we have Jesus himself. We don't have to worry about Yom Kippur because Jesus was the ultimate atonement for us. The propitiation. The sacrifice. Let's pray. As we invite the worship team forward. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we don't have to worry about the things that we can't explain. We don't have to worry about the sacrificial system because you became the cover. You became the mercy seat. You became the atonement cover. You became that sacrifice we needed. So God, allow us to live our life like we are covered. And that every time we walk into a place where we cannot pay for ourselves, that you just say the words, I've got you covered. Whatever sin comes into our lives, you've got us covered. Whatever struggle comes into our lives, you have us covered. Thank you for being our atonement and making us right with our Father. In Jesus' name.